Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. All right, Evan Schulte, it's a not-so-serious Sunday. All right, Brandon Colby of The Cook. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, well, we don't know what the hell we're going to talk about today. If you are unfamiliar with not-so-serious Sundays, you know the topic before we know the topic, because we figure it out as we talk. Yeah. Wrap your head around that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it always seems to work, and we've done about 30 of them. Yep. And they, uh, it always seems to end up working out. And actually... I kind of like them more than our topical days, to be honest. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I think that there's... It's funny, I was thinking about this after our last podcast, because our last podcast we had a topic that we had worked out to a degree Yeah. Uh, before we started. I mean, even then, we still basically just... We come up with a topic, and then we just start talking yeah. about it. Like we and don't, then we go we, off Yeah, topic. we don't really have anything <laughs> planned, even with a topic, other than the topic. Yeah. But... Uh, because yeah, I was thinking about how in some ways I do really just love these not so serious Sunday talks where we sit down and we just start. Yeah. There's just so much less to prepare and and think about or because sometimes we end up trying to come up with a topic for a long time. Like we'll sit around for like an hour or two hours just trying to think of a topic well, you know, what's funny too, is I've thought about that. And I'm like, man, we should almost record the preamble to the actual podcast. Cause sometimes those talks about just what we're going to talk about end up being so interesting. But I think the not so serious Sunday is like, we cut out most of the preamble. Like we only talked for about 15 or 20 minutes before this, just catching up and whatever. And then, uh, and now we're into it, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes we've discussed a whole, whole variety of stuff and then, you know, finally we harness it down on a topical day. Today we kind of, you get it a bit more raw, but I think also the thing I like about the not so serious Sunday is I personally feel super relaxed. I feel like, you know, there's this part of me, it used to be where I was like, what if we don't have anything good to say? <laughs> you know, it used to kind of come up, yeah. but then it came up enough that we had something that at least I found was a good discussion for me. And so now at this point I'm like, well, of course we're going to come up with something. We love art. We love having to talk about it. And it always works out. So that's the change. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's so interesting because I mean, sort of like our last conversation, we had such a great conversation in our last podcast and that was a topical one. Yeah. And as much as sometimes I, yeah, I, I get, I get even a little bit anxious, I guess, maybe about our, our topical conversations that we have because I'm like, are we, what are we going to come up with? Like, you know, there's, there's this sort of pressure to come up with something that is exciting and engaging and and whatnot. Whereas with this, yeah, I've just learned to trust that we're going to sit down, we're going to start talking and we'll have a pretty, pretty decent conversation. Yeah. It's usually, I've learned to trust that, but in some ways I am beginning to learn to trust those topical conversations that we have as well, because at the start, it seemed to be that we were coming up with topics pretty quickly. And now it seems like it takes us a little longer to think of a topic for the show. Yeah. But in that 
kind of has its own, I don't know, its own rewards, even with the long conversations that we sometimes have to have. And, and as much as you just want to jump in sometimes, I'm not quite sure. I, I think I still do like these ones a little bit more in some regard, <laughs> just well, because there's no pressure. It's, it's just, we, we go. It's funny how we can create pressure about things, you know, and I was, uh, as you were saying that I was like, it's so funny how I can, I create pressure. Like I can create pressure about not having something to talk about, or I can create pressure about like in our last podcast, it was funny cause I was like, I don't know if I am any kind of authority to talk about that. I don't even if I know about that, you know? And so then I created pressure for myself about that and I can create pressure about myself for myself about not coming up with an idea or, you know, whatever. And I think that's a good parallel to how we are as artists. I think we can create and manufacture pressure that's unnecessary. And I think the opposite to pressure is trust. You know, when, when I have a certain amount of trust, I find I don't feel any pressure at all. Like for example, you know, I was thinking about the beer today, right? It's the first time we've gone to this brewery and there's this part of me that's like, well, don't forget the name, you know, and don't forget the name of the beer or the company, you know, don't forget the details. And you know, there's this part of me that, that has like, why don't you mention the beer right away? Just so you don't have to worry about it. And there's this part of me that's not going to do that because I'm going to trust that when the time comes, I'm going to have it and I'll deliver it and we'll talk about the beer, which by the way, we have a beer on every show if you haven't listened to any of it. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, so I think there's pressure that can come up all the time, you know, and I know as an actor, one of the things that used to, if, if it was, you know, would mess me up in an audition is when I thought, Oh, what if I forget the lines? And I put pressure on myself about the lines. And that's the biggest mistake that I've ever made because, you know, anyone who's worth their salt as an actor, we all know we, we shouldn't be thinking about our lines. We should be thinking about much different things than what we're going to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe every now and then there's a moment where your character is going to be thinking about what to say, but if the actor is there playing a character, thinking about what to say and remembering the line and worried about making a mistake, which I've done, that just takes away from the whole art. So, you know, I think what we're kind of talking about here in relation to pressure and we're kind of talking about trust and how that relates to pressure because trust has been a big thing for us recently. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that was our whole topic for last week, which, you know, I, that is probably up there for one of, one of my favorite podcasts that we've done. I thought it was a really super interesting conversation that we had about yeah. trust and how it, it is connected to so many parts of the artistic and creative process. It's, and, and from coming from a place where we're like, well, what, what can we really say about this for sure? Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what we can say about anything for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that goes beyond just ourselves, yeah. but, um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, pressure isn't, uh, this is a weird one. For some reason, I feel like this top, this conversation is going to be about pressure, about pressure somehow. <laughs> Maybe it won't. Maybe we'll, we'll dive off somewhere else because pressure is one of those things that is, can be good and can be bad. Yeah. I've, oftentimes work very well under pressure. And I, I sometimes just completely shut down when I'm, when I'm under some kind of pressure. You know, I think, uh, I, I'm the same. And I think it's because of the way that the way that I'm relating to pressure, you know, the way that I'm, um, experiencing it, like 
for example, um, if I'm, for me, this is, you know, I don't know if this is for everybody. I can only say from my own experience, but when I feel pressure, like I'm worried I'm going to make a mistake and I want to make sure I get everything right, that kind of pressure doesn't, I find, help me. But when I feel pressure, like, can we get this done in time? Yeah. I love that. I thrive off of that stuff. I'm like, I get into like beast mode and I'm like ready to go. And I, and to me, like, you know, um, you know, I, you know, UBC, I got into UBC and from college and I used to write my term papers like two, maybe a night before, sometimes two nights before, but I, but I need, I wanted that. I don't need it, but I loved having that pressure because to me, it gave me this kind of like, it's, it's do or die. You know what I mean? And I, and I, and I think I liked that feeling, you know, and I've heard that it's a good, it's, it's actually really good to do things in chunks, to do them all at once and not to like piece them together so much, even Mm -hmm. though it seems like we should, you know, but I think, so I think there's a pressure that's a, that's a real performance enhancer. And there's a type of pressure that's kind of, takes away from your own ability. You know? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's counterproductive and maybe it creates doubt. I don't know for me, like the pressure of getting it wrong, worrying about getting it wrong, it creates a doubt and a, and a lack of confidence. In yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. And I think that I'm, I'm very much the same way because I, I know from just my, my own life of the kinds of the amount of, of things that I can get done when I have a time pressure. It's like, we've got to have this done by this by this time. And it's like, okay. And it, it's for me, it it just provides a focus. It just gives me a focus that oftentimes I don't necessarily have on, on my own where it's like, Oh, it's, I don't have to do this. Right. And, and then you, then, then that's when all those other pressures start to come in. It's like, okay, well, I don't have to do this, but you know, I'm doing this. So I, I want it to be, and next thing you know, you have, you, yeah, you put on all these other kinds of pressures on yourself to, to do something where, I mean, I think it, it almost fits in with a lot of what we've talked about and like, especially for your message in terms of writers and so where you, where you always tell writers, just like, just, just like write it, like almost write it like as fast as you can that first draft, like just, yeah. just put it down. And, uh, and it, I think the time pressure kind of fits, fits with that. I mean, even if you don't have one when you're writing in this mode, right? It's when you're in that time pressure, you don't have a choice. You just, you have to, you have to do this thing. Like there's no, there's no choice. You do it or yeah, it's, it's over. Like there's no, you, you, you know what? I think it's like, um, it's a choice where you have a choice, but the alternative is not an option you know, like Mm -hmm. the, 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 the other choice is, is not even one you'll consider. Like I think about myself when I have a deadline that's, I don't know, a month away. Right. And I'm, I come home after doing a bunch of work or doing whatever I did, weight lift, body sore, all this. And I think, okay, I could start working on this script or this project or whatever, or I could sit back and I could watch some Netflix. Well, the alternative of watching Netflix and taking one day off of my 30 day deadline, is kind of like, eh, 
No, it's all right. It's an acceptable option. But when we, you know, I actually have a deadline for a script and I got to get it done on Tuesday, Sunday today, I got to get it done on Tuesday. So which means that tomorrow and Tuesday, like I am going to literally based on where I'm at in the script, pretty much have to work from like right in the morning until the end of the day. And I've booked off those two days to go full out and I'm actually kind of excited about it. But the alternative of not hitting this deadline is just simply not acceptable for me. Yeah. It's not right. And so, um, theoretically I actually, I have to hand it on Wednesday. So theoretically I could use a little bit of Wednesday morning to see what we'll see what happens. Yeah. But basically like, it's just not an option. Netflix won't be an option. Video games won't be an option. Like nothing will be an option unless that script is done. Mm-hmm. I want to have that thing printed out or whatever and I, or whatever. I want to have it done and I'm going to have a backup copy. And then once that happens, then I will I'll be allowed to do something else. But, you know, um, I just want to say something while I'm on this topic. You know, one of the things that in, in the movie maker course, which is the first course I ever taught, um, we were talking about stakes in, in the story. And I think this relates to everything. It doesn't matter if you're filmmaker, writer, actor, it doesn't matter. Musician, it doesn't really matter. Life. If you live life, this is relevant. If you ever have an alternative, that's an option, your likeliness of taking it and letting yourself down on your goal is high, right? But if the alternative is not an option and uh, I love that movie, um, well, it's not my favorite movie, but I just love the circumstance of it. That movie taken, Mm. And the reason why I love that is because for Liam Neeson in that movie, not going after them and getting his daughter back is not an option. So the one thing I thought was really good about that movie is I really bought the idea that he would have died. He would have like, like same with Die Hard, you know, he would not leave that building until he saved his wife. Like he'll crawl through glass. He'll do anything to get there. And, you know, I've never crawled through glass, but I've had that experience where like, um, you know, I've been in a situation where, you know, my friends and I have been threatened like at a club and I stood my ground and it's just like, I was just not going to move. You know, there's this, there's this, and I've, I've experienced that briefly. I, I never like a, you know, yeah. like a big thing. But like the it. point <laughs> is, is that a movie or a story, like when we can create that feeling. So I think actually really what we are talking about is kind of stakes and we're talking about how that relates to pressure. And we're also talking about how it relates to doubt and confidence. I, I kind of see all those things tied in here. Yeah. And, and, and then what that does to your process. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, there's, because there's positives and negatives to be, to be drawn from them because and we, we've talked a lot about working because there, there can be an element of fear with like this whole pressure thing and the stakes of, of what could happen. And, you know, there's, there's ways that that can motivate you. And there's ways that that can, you know, really confine what you, what you're able to do. And I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, this is, this is very much about actually motivation. Right. I'm realizing. Yeah. Motivation's definitely like this tied is, into this. this is like We've just re- stumbled onto a whole new set of topics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do we, what shall we take on? Yeah. But to me, this all like, like this whole thing of like, you know, pressure and stakes and whatever for, for us as, as artists, like this all f- fuels into what's driving us, what's motivating us to, to do our work, to get things done, um, to, to produce you know, to produce as, as artists. And, you know, that's 
like, this is another thing that now, if this is what we're talking about. I go, I don't know who I am really to talk about this because it's something that, that I battle with every single day. And a book that we reference often on the show is, um, Stephen Pressfield's, uh, the, uh, war of art, Yeah, which is again, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you've heard us <laughs> like regale this thing many times before, but if you have not listened to us before and you have not heard us mention this book, you should go and get this book. <laughs> yeah, read this book. I think it's super valid. So yeah. Like a lot of what we talk about. And for a guy who has published many books and has completed many works in his life, he still sees it as he has to battle it every single day. His resistance, you know, that whole, that's what the book is all about. Just to give you sort of the cliff notes on it. It's basically how all of these things that he calls resistance to us creating and, and how to push through that. And that for him, even he's like every single morning, it's waiting for him. You know, like he (laughs) talks about it in that, in that term, right? Right. It's like, it's waiting for me every single morning, you know, to get up and face that, you know, to not, to not write, to not do this next thing. Um, so it's like, and so how, how do you find that, that way through it? And for some people that's through pressure through some people that's through the stakes and, and a certain degree of, of fear. But I, you know, it's, it's well, it tough can, because yeah. it can be, because I'm also wary of using fear as a motivator because yeah, it'll work for, it works for a short period of time, but eventually it stops working. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like harnessing a dragon, you know, it's super powerful, but then it can turn around and burn you at any time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting actually that you brought up this book, the, the war of art, because I had a realization about it and I was, um, I was actually thinking of bringing this up anyway, which was that he talks about the resistance. A lot of the book is, you know, what's, what's your resistance? What's in your way? And I've ex- experienced in my life where I've had like massive resistance, like so much resistance that it, like, I wasn't even scared enough to even do the thing because like, I couldn't even obligate myself. I couldn't beat myself into even doing it. The resistance was that strong. And I've had times where I've seen other people experience resistance around me, but I'm not experiencing really any resistance at all. And I was thinking about that a lot over the last like few days this has been kind of a big thing for me with motivation. And I realized that resistance is, is always kind of there, but it's not, um, it, it, it has a diff, you have a different relationship depending on where you're coming from. And so I, I was sharing this with you before we started the podcast, but I was talking about, um, you know, uh, self-esteem and confidence. And so I'll just kind of reshare again. I mean, I basically was going through um, some time where I was feeling like a lot of really low self-esteem <clears throat> and actually like, you know, I'm, as in my, in my journey of self-discovery and self-awareness and, and really trying to be as honest and truthful with my, myself as I can, I realized that I, over the last few years, I've actually been battling depression in a way. And I, and I don't like to, I don't, I don't like to say that because I think like depression is such a like it can be such a temporary thing or 
you know, because there were moments where I didn't seem like I was depressed at all, but I realized I was experiencing this depression. It, it just all came together. Probably a lot to do with our talks, but a lot to do with just the work that I've been doing. And I realized that depression for me, and the reason why it was, it was a product of feeling low self-esteem and low self-worth. And if I kind of got into enough of an inertia of low self-esteem and low self-worth, I started to feel really powerless and I started to feel out of control and at the whim of the world. And like everything I did was pointless. And then, you know, take it further. I felt like I had no purpose. I felt like my, my life was just spiraling out of control. And then my failures, there anything that I had that didn't go right, it seemed devastating, it seemed like a knockout punch. And tie some pride into there, you know, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I'm in not a good spot. Yeah. So, so what I realized recently was I was like, what is this? Like, why do I have like a good bunch of days or a good few weeks even? And then all of a sudden I slip back into this and I'm like, like depressed again. I'm on my own and I, and I don't want to, I just want to lock myself in my room, in my place. I just want to go to sleep and I don't want to do anything. And every time I think about doing the thing, I don't want to do it. And I realized the, the big awareness I had was that I'm not seeing the effects of what I cause immediately enough in a positive way. So what I mean is, is if I have a goal, but let's say it'll take me a few days or a few weeks or sometimes a few months to achieve the delay of gratification of seeing the result seems infinite when I'm depressed, when I'm confident and I'm, and I have a lot of high self-esteem, what ends up happening is even, it doesn't matter how delayed it is. I know that I'm going to achieve it because I believe in myself because I feel good about myself. But when I'm not feeling good about myself, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. It kind of feels like it never will. And so, so it's kind of like, well, what's the point of doing it? It doesn't feel like it's ever going to happen. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I don't know. It's almost like, yeah, like it's just, you're caught, you know, and that's how I experienced it. And so what I realized was what I needed to do was just do small things where I could see my cause have a positive effect in my life immediately. So it could be anything. Um, and, and actually people have pointed this out and I didn't realize what they were doing, but a friend of mine who's battled with depression said, you know, what happens for me is I'll just wash the dishes or I'll make a meal or I'll do something. I'll clean my place up. I'll do something. Cause then I can see, you know, and I, and I, well, he didn't say that, but then I feel better. But I was like, I get it now. It's because the reason why that works and it does is because I'm experienced that immediate positive result. I did that. I made that happen. I cheat. I had a goal. I wanted to do it and I completed it, you know? And, and what I realized was that this is, this is how it works. You have to build small and then say, say you do something that will take a matter of minutes or a matter of hours and you achieve it. You feel good. Do that over and over and over again. Then do something that'll take hours or days, right? And then achieve that. Then take something that'll take days or weeks, then achieve that. Then maybe weeks or months and then months or years and years and then, you know, decades and then decades and a lifetime, you know? And the thing is, is, you know, I had an experience where I was doing a show earlier and, um, and the, the ultimate goal was so far away. It was years and years away but I had like a, a certain motivation and drive and people just say like, man, you're motivated, man, you work hard. Like you never sleep. You just go. But I, at the time had built enough confidence. This is what I've come to. I built enough confidence around doing the small things that I knew the bigger thing would be there. I had confidence. I had self-esteem. I had trust. 
Um, and, and what I found too, is I used to think that if I built self-esteem and confidence once in my life, that I have it forever. And I've since realized that it doesn't work that way. Confidence and self-esteem are kind of a constant check-in with yourself. And so what I found was that the resistance is strong when I have low self-esteem and when I have low self-worth. But when I build that self-worth and I build that self-esteem, I find things don't have as much resistance anymore because I believe I can do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what, that's one of the big things that I've, you know, and so I found that pressure, the relationship to pressure changes too. There's not so much pressure when you believe you can do it. Like I got so good at writing term papers in, in college and university over one night that it didn't matter. If I had one night left, I knew I could do it. And there was a, there was actually a moment where I left two papers till the end and I had two days to do it. And I didn't realize this because I was full course load. I had a third paper, but I only had two days for three papers. I had never done that before. I was freaking out. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to fail one of these. Like there's, I'm trying to think like, can I delay it? Can I do something Can get out of it? I was also doing my film school and stuff. And that was really important to me. And I remember calling my dad up and I told him and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like I literally can write a great paper in a night, but I've like two, I don't even know how I would do it. And I have three in the next two days. And my dad said, listen, I want you to do one paper at a time get one paper done and then you'll move on to the next. Don't think about the other two. Just do one paper. Best advice I've ever gotten in my life. Like in, in so many ways, cause I just did it one paper and then I did the next paper and I did the next paper. I got three papers done in two days. After I did that, I'm like, I can do anything. You know, yeah. I felt like I could take on the world. So the pressure, my relationship to pressure is also partly to do with, and I think this is for Ali for most people, is partly what have I experienced and done before? And what am I taking on that I've never done before? You know, in the relationship to it, um, kind of, that's how I've experienced it. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I've come to with it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I remember when I was going through, um, when I was studying Meisner, uh, intensively and with my, with my class, like, uh, I, I remember, especially for the, for the first part of the program, the, the group that, uh, that I was with, it was like, it, it was just such a phenomenal group of people to be around. And there was no sense of really competition with each other, but I remembered feeling this pressure. There was this pressure, but it was like this welcome one. It was because everybody was doing such great work and it was just this thing. It's like, I want to like, I want to bring my best. Mm. Right. And it was this whole thing of like this pressure to bring your best, whatever that was. And it it was, and it was for a sustained period of time that this went on and, and some incredible work and, and transformations in people's work occurred within that. And that was for me, as we're discussing this, like, that's like my best reference I can think of, of healthy pressure Hmm. because I never felt like I had to be better than anybody during the whole course of it. It was all just, it was all just like inspiration. You know, we were all just sort of pushing and inspiring each other through it. And so it was this pressure to just like, okay, I'm like, everybody's really bringing it and I love it. And like, I want to make sure I'm bringing whatever I got. (laughs) Right. Um, and it's not to say that sometimes people didn't have like the, didn't put up 
the best work they've ever done before. You right. know, sometimes they, they put something up and, and it just didn't work. And from there it just became a, it just became a lesson in something, you know, mm. something that they hadn't seen before or a challenge that they hadn't come up against before in, in their own work. And, and that's what it, it would become about. And it was never a thing like, Oh, you did bad work. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, so it's interesting to try and see like, well, how do we find, because I, I really think that we're on to something with this conversation. <laughs> I'm like, I'm really interested in this because, you know, I, I, I'm a person who would love to be, you know, a, a more sort of motivated, get more, more stuff done and, and find that, like, just that sort of that strength and that drive to, to do more and, and to be confident in, in going forth with whatever is in front of me. Yeah. And, same here. Yeah. and, uh, there's something about this, this whole thing that I'm like, all right, this is, this is very interesting <laughs> because I want to, I want to understand this. I want to understand how, how I, I'm best motivated, how I can best sort of put pressure on myself in a way that isn't unhealthy. Right. I think that's the big thing. It's just like, pre- like, how do you, how do you create some pressure for yourself? That's healthy pressure, right? That's not like, Oh, if I don't get this done, like I'm a big giant loser or if this doesn't come out this way, then I'll whatever, get fired or, or I'll get I'll, fired or yeah. whatever, all of this, because yeah, that fear-based pressure is, I don't think, I don't think it's very healthy pressure, but there is a very particular kind that is extraordinarily useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think, um, it's also, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm some authority on this topic because a lot of this stuff is, is new discovery to me, but there's a way, there's a way in which I think I've experienced myself and others deal with pressure. Um, and I think that's what makes the difference. I think it's the way that we look at it. You know, there's a, Oh, I don't remember where I read it. I think it was a Tony Robbins book or something, but I mean, I've heard this story through so many different people, but anyway, basically they were talking about two musicians, you know, they both get sweaty hands before they're about to go on stage. Their heart beats, you know, they, they kind of, their hair stands on edge. They get super nervous. They start shaking and one of them interprets it as fear and the other one, who, you know, name the famous rock star, you know, whatever. I think they use like Brian Adams or I don't know who it was. Yeah. I probably got that wrong, but it was someone who's a big deal. And they were basically like, they, they interpret it as excitement. So the same feeling of excitement and fear are very similar. And I think that pressure kind of brings up fear and excitement and it's how you interpret it. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this as we're discussing it. When I experience pressure in a negative way, it's about worry. It's about doubt. It's about what happens if, you know, what if I don't do it? What if I make a mistake? What if everybody, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right. But when pressure is good for me, I find it's like, oh, I'm getting this done. <laughs> yeah. I just like, gotta, this is happening. Yeah. I just yeah. got to find a way to do it. Yeah. I just, yeah. you know, like if I have to stay up all night, I'm going to do it, but it's not like a, it's not like a maybe it's like, it's going to happen. You know what I mean? And, and I think when I look at, um, you know, from the highly successful people I've met, especially people in the film industry, you know, who are kind of like the top people that I've met, at least, 
they all seem to have that kind of quality, like that kind of quality of like, you know, maybe they're a little worried. They don't, but there's kind of like a, it's, it's, we're going to find a way we're going to make this happen. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if I know how it's going to happen, but we're going to make it happen. And, um, I think that's when pressure, that's when it helps us flourish and blossom. But I think when we turn it into worry and doubt and we use it to kind of like almost hinder us, like with fear, that's why I think fear is like that dragon that turns around and burns you because fear, I think can motivate you. Like for example, you see something super scary and you run or you cover or you block yourself and it motivated you to, to be safe. Right. And I think for, for some kind of the knee jerk reaction, um, fear can be good that way. And I think sometimes fear can just get us off our butt because we're worried so much about the consequence that we, we kind of are doing yeah. something, but and we've talked about this before. I think it's our podcast on endless motivation, but who wants to live a whole life of fear? I, I know I don't. Yeah. It's not fun, you know? And I think anybody who's, who's been scared long enough, which I've been, you know, I've had scenarios in my life where I've been scared for a extended period of time. Fear goes away. It just doesn't matter anymore. Like, you know, walking around in school, I remember like I was bullied for a bit, but there was a certain point where I was just like, hit me, like hit me. Yeah. What are you going to do? You just like, get... what are you going to do? Like, and then you become invincible the moment you're not scared of that. And of course what happens, you don't get bullied anymore, but yeah. it's like, I got so fed up with being called names and pushed around that. Like I, I, I almost had a bit of a chip on my shoulder for a bit, but I was like, what are you going to do? Go for it. You know? And there's this fearlessness. Once you have that fearlessness, like it's, it's scary to other people, you know? And, um, what was really funny is I went from being a bullied kid and I had actual feedback later on in my early twenties that people were intimidated by me. And I thought intimidated by me. Like I was the one who was bullied in school. But what had happened, I think is I got so like, like I got so over that. But the, the thing is, my point is, is that motivation when you're not scared anymore, it changes, right? Like if you were using that motivation to get you to do something, it doesn't work anymore. I mean, that's yeah. actually a positive example of how it actually helped me. But in a lot of cases, like, you know, being worried about not being able to pay your bills, like I've gone through that. And then yeah. at a certain point, I'm like, oh, whatever, bill collector is going to call me. I'm not scared. You know, it's like, it, and that's a, kind of a problem. <laughs> you know, I've been there before. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, but I think what the point is that you're making is that eventually you reach a point where you're just, where you're just tired of being afraid. Yes. Um, in, and I've been there before too, where it's just like, you just, you get so tired of being afraid and sometimes, and sometimes that then turns into anger Yeah. and it's like, well, anger at least is usable energy. You know, it's just kind of a superficial one, but it can at least, it's another one of those things that can motivate you. It can like, you know, being pissed off can like get you off of your ass. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and can be channeled creatively instead of destructively. Like it, it actually can. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's like what, so how do we find this, this way to, to have this sort of this healthy pressure on ourselves to, to motivate? (laughs) Because, you know, I mean, this is like, this is seriously like, this is like the, almost the quintessential like issue of artists is producing work, creating work. You know, like if you want to have a career, you have to be consistently creating work. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you like keep finding the, the, the motivation and, and 
find the, the pressure to put on yourself to, to do it. Like, where do you, where do you dig into? And I guess that probably changes constantly throughout, you know, a lifetime and a career, different things motivate you at different times, but you know, it'd be nice to have some sort of a thing that you can just count on. Right. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, I was thinking about it actually, as you talked about fear turns into anger. And I have found that in my life to be absolutely true because in my early twenties, I was so angry, man. I was walking around with a chip on my shoulder, like, like, and I was like, everybody who fucked me over, fuck them. Like I wanted to, and, and my, my work ethic and my drive to be successful was I'm going to prove you all wrong. You know, those of you who picked on me, those of you who tore me down, watch who I become. And it became so much about that, you know, and, uh, and even in, in a certain joy of life I was experiencing, I always had this kind of little pit of anger in me, you know, and I was upset about, you know, what I went through in high school. I was upset about stuff. And so just because the fear went away, I wasn't scared of anybody. Like, you know, like, in fact, I never got in a fight after that moment, pretty much in where I turned around and, you know, and I was like, hit me because I, I think when people began to like, look at me, well, actually, I guess there was a few moments where I almost got, again, altercations. I never got in a fist fight like I did in high school, but, but <laughs> you know, I fought a few times, but that was a turning point for me. Cause I think what happened was I was walking around wearing a leather jacket, you know, walking around, like I was ready to fight if someone wanted to push me around, you know, and I think a lot of young men go through that. You know, I, I know a lot of young men that are angry and you mentioned that documentary about the mask we wear. Oh yeah. Like yeah. just look at all those young guys, right? Like, and, and you know, and you're suppressing all these emotions and all this stuff. Right. And so you got this anger, but eventually that anger it's, um, kind of self-destructive, you know, that's what I found with it. And, uh, although it motivated me for a good period of time, there was also a self-destruction about it. There's like a, well, I mean, cause that's, that's the sort of the cycle of it. I'm often heard and, and there's, there's a lot of evidence to support this psychologically, you know, and it's interesting how you can follow this little trail, right? but it's, so you have the fear, which eventually turns into anger. And then if that anger turns inwards, then that becomes depression. Quite interesting. Yeah. So, well, and I experienced actually depression after that, like this more recent episode in the last few years of depression that I've experienced was different than the first time I went through it. I think I went through it like, you know, kind of in my, my twenties a little bit there, but I, I, I have gone through it a bit in the last few years, but the last few years was not because I was carrying around anger so much. I don't think, but it was just because I think I, um, I think it was more of a product. This second time was more about a product of like lower self-esteem in the sense that I felt a disconnect from, from what I could do. Certain things in my life that I had kind of counted on didn't work out. And, um, you know, and so then I kind of took that as, well, if I can't make that work, what, what can I make work? You know what I mean? But I think that's true. And I think what happens is you got to go through this depression. I think you hit that depression point. I remember our, actually our acting teacher, Nathaniel was pointing that out to me actually at one point, because I told him that I was feeling depressed and he said, that's anger turned inward. I mm-hmm. remember him saying that to me. And, um, I think from depression the the only thing to do, I, I think depression is a wonderful thing. Actually. I don't, I think we look at it we try to medicate it and we try to make it wrong. I think it's a necessary part of the human experience. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't know. 
like that term clinically depressed or like people when, when people are taking pills, I think you need to stop taking the pills. I think you need to stop, start feeling the emotion and it's fucking hard. You know, don't do anything. Don't make decisions from that uh, negative decisions from that depression place, but, but try to be in it because I think from there is where you can actually build a true sense of self-esteem. Because what I found is that it's kind of a rock bottom. You know, when I've experienced depression, man, we're covering some big topics, but when I've, when I've experienced depression, it's kind of like I have nothing. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing in my life. I have nothing to give. Everything seems pointless. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a hard time to be in and it hurts. But the thing is, is from there, there's really nothing to lose. And once you get to that point of nothing to lose, but enough of a connection to like, okay, I'm going to make something happen. I have found that there's certain areas in my life where I built a real sense of self-esteem, you know, Mm -hmm. a real sense of like, you know, and also a sense of self, which I think is the most valuable thing of all. I don't think it looks pretty. I don't think the general public likes to talk about it. I, I think we also live in a society that teaches us that anger is bad, that, that, um, depression is bad, that kids that are apparently attention deficit disorder are, you know, that every, everything's telling us we're doing shit wrong, but we're not, you know, like, I think there's a reason for all this stuff. And I think it's very natural. And I think if we stop making it wrong and we start making it part of the human experience and we start talking about what it really is, we, we, we can actually start dealing with it and building our humanity because I think from depression, I've built a certain amount of humility, which is really a huge asset moving forward. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think because I made it through depression, like kind of once in my life this time, yeah, I felt depressed and it's probably even in some ways been lower lows. But the thing is, is I know I made it through it once. So I'm not worried. I'll make it through it again. I'm kind of like, yeah, but you kind of did it once. So no matter how low you feel, you already went through that. So you're okay. But I think the first time that I went through it, it was like, how bad is this going to get? Yeah. You know, and it feels like it's never going to end. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's awful. It's awful. Like it's really, it's really awful. Like I've, but awful, awful feeling, but beautiful in, in actually self-evolution. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I've always, come out of like from the, some of the bouts of depression that I've, I've had, you know, like it's, I've always come through, you know, like it's, there's always another side to it. And it's always an incredible catalyst for transformation. Um, like there's always like this beautiful sort of like beautiful, like pearl or (laughs) nugget of gold that comes out of depression Mm -hmm. for me, at least like I, and that's sort of the way that I see it whenever that happens, you know, it's like, I'm feeling unmotivated. I'm feeling so bad about myself and about my situation and, and everything that's going on in the world and and whatever. And, and yeah, it's like when, when you've never really been deep in it before it's, and, and you're experiencing that intensity of that feeling for the first time, it's just like you, you feel like you're losing your mind mm-hmm. and, and you don't know what's going on. You don't know how to fix it. You don't know. And you just want to fix it. You just want it to go away. And you know, like there's, there's ways to, that you can sort of like help things along, 
but you know, there's no band-aid solution for it. No, there's no band-aid solution for, for depression. Depression to me is a call to look inwards. Well, I think there's band-aid solutions, but but, they're temporary. They're like, they're kind of like, you kind of, they're, they kind of rip off eventually. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing like, it doesn't get to, it doesn't fix what, you know, what really needs to be addressed. Yeah. And like it, and it's completely an, an internal thing. You know, it's depression is sort of asking you to dive in and look at it. Like you have to, you've kind of got to get down into the muck with it and get a little dirty. Um, but now from, from having gone through it myself, if, and I find that whenever I, I have those experiences, they're, they're much shorter now. Like they're, I went from, you know, honestly, a period where I, I was probably went through like depression for a few years. Um, I did, I just didn't recognize it at the time as what it was until, you know, at the end of it, it was like, it was really bad. Like it was just like probably like three, four months of just like, just feeling awful Hmm. every single day, just feeling like awful and living for the weekend. Yeah. Basically, you know, like when all my friends were, (laughs) off of work and I could go and like, you know, get drunk or do something. Right. Like that was my life for a while. And, um, and, and it's just, and then Monday rolls around and it's just like, start all over. Right. And you you go through, (laughs) but the thing is, is that you come out of it and, and when, when you finally stop ignoring it and trying to pretend that it isn't, that it isn't there, uh, and you explore it a little bit, you, you come out of it with knowing that, well, you just come out of it knowing a little bit more about who you are and, you know, what you want in your life and all of these things. But that doesn't come until you finally look. Right. And so now it's like when that happens, it's like, so like, if I'm feeling down, it's like, okay, what's going on? Right. It's like, I've got, I know I've got to dive down into it right. And, and take a look and then, and, but in a weird way, there's this bizarre sort of sick enjoyment and excitement that I get out of it because I know I'm like, okay, whenever I get on the other side of this thing, like, man, I'm going to have learned something amazing. <laughs> right. Like, but you have that awareness. Yeah. I have that awareness from having gone through it. And now it just, it's, it's, it shortens the length in which you have to to deal with that. And also realizing that, you know, because it can seem kind of scary to, to go down and look into what is creating that feeling, you know, like it already feels so bad. You just, you don't want to, you don't want to go closer to it. It feels like you're going closer to it. You're just going to end up going off the deep end. When you say going closer to it, what do you mean? Like going closer into, into the feeling you know, into when you're feeling depressed, like it, it seems like that's the last thing that you want to do. Like if, if I go closer to this, if I really like go and navigate into these waters, you know, I'm going to drown. Like I'm going to, I'm going to die in here. Right. And you're not (laughs) like for one, you're, you're not going to actually die. You might, you know, in, in a weird sort of a poetic way, you will sort of die in a way you yeah. will, but you will, you will like be sort of reborn realizing that like, Oh, I'm not actually dead. 
Yeah. I'm okay. I'm going to be fine, you know, and come away with, with a wealth of experience. Well, you know, it's a, it's an amazing thing, right? Because you, you, you kind of do die and your pride dies, your ego dies off. Right. And, and what's great about that is it actually frees you up to feel this immense amount of joy. And, um, you know, and you know, for myself at this point in my life, I have enough awareness about the emotional experience of being a human being that I understand that if I feel extremely low, that in some ways that gives me context to understand how good I can feel. So there's this part of me that is like, okay, I don't know how to feel that good, but the fact that I can feel this low, I can feel this is actually kind of a good thing. And the other thing is, is in, in the timeless storytelling course that we do, um, you know, we do this thing where we talk about story and I've talked about this in other podcasts, but story is essentially a pattern of meaning that we create out of something. And we try to tie events together and make them mean something. Cause we're always trying to find purpose in our life and trying right. to make sense of the world. Right. But what I think is so important to remember, and I, I forget this from time to time, but what's so important to remember, and this has been a lifesaver for me is to remember that the feeling of depression is not attached to the story of depression, that those things are not the same because what I think where people bring themselves into a place and where I've brought myself into an inertia of depression, where I find it really hard to get out is when I start telling the story of depression. So what I mean by that is I'm feeling super down. And so I go, why am I feeling so down? And then I go, you know why? It's because my girlfriend left me. Yeah, bitch. (laughs) Right. And so it's like, you know what? But why did she leave you? Well, she left you because you're not good enough because she really wants someone else, you know? And then, so then that story starts going and it goes, well, maybe I'm just not good enough. And then why aren't you good enough? Well, you're not good enough because you know, you haven't succeeded at your career and you're at this point in your life. Well, why haven't I succeeded at my career at this point in my life? Cause you never will. Cause you bubble. <laughs> and so then the story starts going right. Yeah. And this feeling starts getting attached to the story. And then you're like, Oh my God, like now I'm looking at myself and my life. Right. So the thing that I've kind of, you know, I'm saying I'm not perfect at it, but the, the one thing that has helped me kind of escape at least temporarily is to detach myself from the story. Because once I do that, I start to feel freedom. Now I'm not saying the feeling goes away because And I believe that the feeling has not gone away because I'm doing what you were talking about, where I'm avoiding even feeling the feeling. Mm -hmm. Because I think what you're pointing out is not tell yourself more of the story. You're saying actually embrace the feeling, feel the feeling, but feel the feeling without the story attached is a different thing than to tell the story. You know what I mean? Because I can, you know, I can get myself into a, a real downward spiral where I start going, you know, I start telling the story about why I haven't succeeded, why I'm not good enough, why, you know, why, you know, I don't have a true friend or blah, 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 whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. That's all story. But the feeling is usually not as bad as the story makes it out to be. Yeah. The problem and is, is we tie this, the feeling to the story. And often, and I mean, I, 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 I love what you've, you've gone into with this because it, it is so much what we, when, we perpetuate these stories and oftentimes those stories are, yeah, they are the things that help us to avoid the feeling, right? You know, we, it's a way of us taking in some ways, you know, placing it on something else. Oh, I'm feeling this way because of this thing over here, right? It's like, well, 
no, you're feeling this way because, because that's the feeling that you're, you're creating for yourself. You know, you're, you're just putting it on the story, but now that story is just reflecting itself back onto you. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're still left with this feeling. And, um, and the thing is that you can tell a new story. I think that's the other, the other thing, like the, the story that you've created about your feeling. I mean, yes, while completely logical, like in, in its own sort of way, like there's a logic and a complete understanding to, Oh, okay. Yes. I see how these events could have, could make you feel this way, but you're still the one who's telling the story about all of it. Right. Right. Like it's, um, you know, there's, I can't remember who said it, but there is like an old saying is like two prisoners look out a cell window. One sees mud, the other sees stars, right? It's it, while it's a very simple way of looking at it, it still illustrates how, I mean, we've probably all met somebody or seen people, you know, in, in the media or something. So like people who have, and you hear their stories, like they're sort of their success stories and all of like the, the hard times that they went through, you know, all of these, all of these shitty situations and feelings and questioning and doubting that, that went on. Um, and the people who didn't let it stop them, right? Like it was people who had a a different perception, I think on all of this, you know, was just saying like, you know, this is, and we talk about this where it's about, I think last week, actually, or in our last podcast, we were talking about this, where it's, well, if you could just trust that everything that was happening was supposed to be the thing that was happening, well, then you could, you know, you can learn a lot faster. You can be like, okay, this is, this is what's happening. Like it's, this is what's happening. There's no changing that. Like you can't rewrite it like that. This is the thing that you've been presented with. So if you can learn to just trust it and embrace it as being the thing that is supposed to be in your life right now and get over the fact or the, the idea that like, Oh, this is so shitty. Look at what's happening to me. And we throw ourselves into this position of being at the mercy of something, being, being a victim of something and just goes like, okay, this happened. Not necessarily to say like, all right, this makes me feel really shitty. You know, like I, this is bringing up some really negative feelings for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and you go, okay, well, but if this is supposed to be happening, what can I learn from this situation? You know, if we can, we can always be constructive. We can always be, you know, we can go into a creative mode, even with the things that we would normally go into a destructive mode with. Right. It's still all a decision that we can actually make. It's just that oftentimes the creative decision is not the easiest one to make, or it's not our first instinct to make. And I think it's important that we start to shift and rewire our brains in this way, right? Because we can, we can do that. We are actually capable of doing that. We can take these things that happen and go like, okay, I'll embrace this for what it is. And I'll learn from it and I'll move and I'll move with it as being exactly the thing that I needed to have happen. Hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting because we've gone off on this tangent, which we do sometimes on these not so serious Sundays. Um, but 
it actually kind of relates to our initial topic. Now, I don't know if our topic is still about pressure, but it kind of does relate to our first initial pressure. Pressure and motivation and... Right, because we were talking about you can interpret pressure in two different ways. And I think that it's the story that you tell. Um, you know, what whatever story you tell puts your focus on things, right? Like... Um, you know, I just want to lay out this for, if anyone hasn't listened to our podcast before, but I've talked about this before, but in the timeless storytelling course, my, my whole model is basically working from, at least in that course is working from three powerful perceptions. One is the patterning, how you pattern events and make them tied together to mean something or how you you make them connected. Um, the framing of something and the filtering of something. Well, when you do any one of these, you tend to create some of the others because they kind of naturally go hand in hand. So what I'm realizing is that if I create a pattern of say, like my girlfriend left me because, you know, someone's better than me and I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough because, you know, I never succeeded in my life. I never succeeded in my life because my parents didn't love me. My parents didn't love me because I was an accident, blah, 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 whatever. (laughs) Too much information. You know what I mean? But whatever, that's the pattern that I create the story. Right. And so then Now, if I have that story, I'm telling that story, I start framing the world through that lens of, you know, you're not supposed to be here, you're a mistake, you're not good enough, blah, 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 whatever. Okay. So now I'm starting to frame the world that way and, and, or filter for that. So what's going to end up happening is someone says something or does something and interacts in accordance to that story. And I see that first because that's what I'm looking for because I'm already filtering for it. Right. So it's like, if I say like the whole thing, red Honda civic, go walk around the street, Honda civics, Honda civics, Honda civics, whatever you walk around. And if you're thinking about Honda civics, you're going to see Honda civics. You know what I mean? Even though there's all these other cars, but that's what you're focused on. And then framing is kind of a perceptual tool in many ways. They're all perceptual, but it's perceptual because how we frame something changes our entire experience of it. You know, Mona Lisa, you're looking at her mid shot, right? And so we get a very close, intimate shot with her for the most part. Um, but if you took that and moved it like, you know, a mile away, and she was a little blip in the corner of it, you know, Mona Lisa, if it was still called that would be the mountain range, it would be something else entirely, you know what I mean? So um, the way in which we look at the world also um, tells us what's important about it. So if I'm framing, and I make things that are negative, more important to me, it's like doing a close up on that. But if I pull this whole screen away, if someone says one little negative thing and I don't make that very important, it's like a little blip on the picture. It's like, eh, whatever, doesn't even matter. One little tiny blemish, who cares? No one will notice. But if it's the picture is an entire blemish, then it's like, it's a real problem, right? So what I'm, what I'm realizing is that pressure is kind of like that. It's like, how do we filter it? How do we frame it? How do we pattern it? Because the way in which we tell that story and make that our perception of it is the way in which we'll do it. Right. So like, uh, you know, I'm thinking about forgetting lines in an audition. Well, I forgot lines before and that sucked. So I don't want to do that again. But then I put this amazing amount of attention and I frame my audition as don't forget your lines. And it becomes more about that than it does about all the other things. Yeah. Because, you know, when you watch a really, like, confident actor, and they mess up a line, they usually laugh it off, or they just kind of, they, or if it, if, they, if they have to stop, they'll laugh, and they'll kind of, whatever, it's, it's almost like, it's not even a problem. But when you, when it's an insecure actor, it's like, and I've been both, it's like, <laughs> devastating, like, the whole room stops. It's like, oh my god, this is the worst thing in the world, yeah. right? And 
the same thing happened, but it's how, you know, how I experienced it and how everyone experienced it because of the way I was doing it. Right. Um, you know, but if forgetting your lines is not that big of a deal, if you haven't framed that as the major focus of the picture, it's like, yeah, I might forget my lines. I might say them a little bit different, but whatever, I'll deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And especially with that, that example, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I know like what can happen when, you know, you have this, the pressure, especially, you know, in the, in the film and television world where you're going into an audition, you maybe got, you know, your sides, um, the night before, yeah. you know, you had a few hours and then you had to, and then your audition was in the morning yeah, or something, pages. you know, like, and, plus you had two others that day. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, you can get all, if you make a big deal out of it, you know, you drop a line or something or you for it, or you forgot something, you know, if you make a big deal out of it, it becomes a big deal. Yeah. You know, but if you don't, then it's not right. It's not an issue, right? Like you just, um, yeah, it's, it's just another one of those weird little ways that, you know, as artists, we put, we put pressure in the wrong places. Right. Right. And it's like, Oh, well, it's like, if I don't get this and this and this, right. It's like, none of that matters. Yeah. Really? Like none of that shit matters. I mean, what matters is, you know, you're, you show up, you know, you show up and you, and you bring what you've got. Yeah. Right. Like whatever the hell that is, you know, I'm just like, well, I think that's, I think that's where pressure becomes uh, an ally and not an enemy is when you trust that what you got is going to be what it's going to be. And you're going to do everything you can with it. Pressure kind of becomes, well, let's see what I'm made of. But when you don't trust what you got and you make that wrong or inadequate or whatever or less, then it's kind of like pressure makes that risk at being exposed, you know, and then it becomes kind of a, a, a negative experience. Like, I'm thinking about that paper situation, right? Like I had lots of time where I had pressure to write one paper and that kind of pressure was like, let's just, let's see what I'm made of here. I'm going to do this. Right. But it was the three papers in two days. That was a, that time at least that was like a, that was like a, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm, if I can do this. Right. And all the self doubt and whatever. Um, so when this, maybe we can talk about that when the self doubt and whatever comes up, maybe some practical things we could do. Like one of the things that I I learned to do in that moment was do one thing at a time. When overwhelm hits, focus on one thing at a time. It would have only, it would probably cause me to not get any of the papers done or maybe only one of them. If I was trying to do them all at once, you know, I was trying to, you know, whatever, but by focusing on one and letting the other two go, I was free to do what I could with that. And you know what I found actually, because when I usually would write a paper over one day, I'd actually kind of, there was lots of moments where I would take little breaks. I would probably be a little easier. I wouldn't be as rushed. Actually, I was somewhat relaxed in a lot of ways because I, I actually became pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. But when I had three papers, I was very extremely focused. And I think I actually, I must have got those papers done in a shorter amount of time. But when I did them, I was not, I was actually not like, probably giving myself as much of a break in between like little bits, right? I would just do it, go full out. And, um, there's also kind of a, probably a sense of, I think I also decided now that I think of it, I decided that it would happen. I didn't know if it could happen, but I decided it would. I, I just decided that. I don't know what helped me to do that. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it's just cause 
I believed that my dad's advice would get me what I wanted. Maybe that's why, I don't know. But I believed it would get done. I didn't know if it would, I, 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 but I just was like, I'm, 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 I have to choose that it will, because what's the alternative? Like, why, why would I even bother? So I think that's another part of pressure, is I think we have to not only do one thing at a time, but we have to decide that we're going to meet it. Whatever it is, we're going to yeah. meet it, you know? To, yeah, to truly decide that we're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and while you're talking there, I just like, and another thing too is, is yeah, it's, it's about that small, it's that small thing in terms of like, just something practical, like set something up small for yourself. Like just, it doesn't have to be the whole, the whole picture yet, but right. like it's when you are in that place of feeling really doubtful about yourself, I mean, it can really become about the small victories you know, and they can, and those small victories can snowball into a big one. Right. But yeah. yeah. Well, I think all big victories are really just a series of small ones. Yeah. So that's why negating the small ones is kind of like counterproductive. Yeah. You know, and I mean, and I, it was funny. I recently just like totally like over, like over, have overlooked like a small victory. Not, it's not even a small victory. This is, this is, this is me still working on this sort of stuff. But, um, you know, I, I finished writing the first draft of, of my, my book. Oh yeah. That's just a small Just the other day. Right. And I'm like, (laughs) and I'm like, but to me, I finished, I'm like, well, you know, it's a short book. Like it's a short, it's only a short book. (laughs) And, and you know what? Like, I don't even like it very much. Like I'm going to like have to rewrite the whole thing. So really it's not a big deal. But I'm just like, that's a big deal. Like it's a huge deal. <laughs> it got like that's a that's a victory. Yeah, you know, like yeah, I I knew way you wrote then, a book, dude. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I, just stop. You wrote a book. I wrote a book, <laughs> right? And it's like yeah, I'm gonna rewrite it. But I mean, I did it. Like I got that that I, I a huge like a huge first step of that done. Right like massive. I can't write what the book is going to be without getting that first kind of, you know, shot at it. Yeah. Done. And I've never written a book before either. But, you know, even, even for me, it's like my, and we talk about this shit all the time (laughs) and I'm just like, uh, (laughs) you didn't even tell me until now. I know. I'm just finding out. See, this is, this is exactly, (laughs) this is one of my own things that, you know, like I'm, you know, trying to get better with. It's just like, you know, and and in a lot of ways it's about making everything a little bit more joyful. Yeah. You know, like making everything just a little bit more joyful because when like, yeah, why would you feel motivated to do something if everything was just shitty and painful (laughs) the whole way through it? Right. It's like, ah, it's not very good. Like you're not gonna, it's not going to motivate you to keep, to keep going. Right. So yeah, that's, that's why I think I, I, I think being joyful is a huge motivator. I think so too. I think that's how we kill off motivation by undermining our successes. And I've done that before. And, uh, you know, um, even I talked about in the last podcast, one of the screenwriters I was working with in my course, we undermine our successes all the time. And I, I find that to be very common with people, especially artists. And I think that's part of it is like when, when you acknowledge what you can do, 
you start to kind of bring yourself out. You know, I was going to share um, with, uh, you know, on this podcast, if it came up, and I think it's a good opportunity, but like, how did I kind of pull myself out of the depression? And I found that really the, now I find there's moments where I'll kind of get myself tied into it, but I think I have enough of a strategy now where I kind of think of it as like, it's only a temporary vacation within my control. Now it's not like I'm like, it's not like I've been kind of thrown into uh, exile and, uh, yeah. until someone releases me, I'm <laughs> out. It's like, kind of like, Oh, you can come and go as you please now. <laughs> you know, It's more like that. Right. So I can yeah. go for visits. Um, but the things that I found were this one was, um, things turned when I started to acknowledge the quote unquote small victories that I had, which actually, in, you know, like yourself, were not actually as small as, as, as you really think. But the thing is, it becomes relative because now it's like, oh, I have to achieve this great thing before it's a victory. You know what I mean? Um, So once I started sitting down and kind of going over the little victories I'd done, then I could look at that and I could go, okay, great. I started to feel good about myself. I just started to feel good about myself writing down little victories, little things. And so then once I had enough of a feel good about myself, enough kind of, hey, you're an all right guy, man. You're not that bad. You haven't totally screwed up your life, you know, as much as you think about it. Honestly, I know I haven't screwed up my life like now, but like at the time it felt like I had, like it really did. No, I, I mean, when, <laughs> no, but like it's, it's, you know, we laugh about it and I mean, cause like there is, it's, it's kind of a silly, but you only see how silly it is when you're not in it, when you're in it, like when you can, when you can smile and celebrate for something, no matter how small it is in your life, like that is massive. Right. Like it is so massive. Um, and then we sort we sort of forget to keep doing that, <laughs> I think. And then we can slip back into it where it's just like, Oh, well this isn't like, now I've got to, now I've got to up it. Like it's got to, yeah. it's got to go to the next level. And in a way it's like, well, you can't, there's no way you can not take it to the next level in some well, ways. You know, it's interesting because I actually, um, you know, I remembered a, a time. So my dad and I were, uh, living together <clears throat> and we were living in a trailer park. We'd lost everything, right? Lost millions of dollars. And we were you know, struggling and he was listening to these Tony Robbins tapes. I'm pretty sure it was a Tony Robbins tape that this came from, or it was some other tape, but I'm pretty sure it's Tony Robbins. And we're driving along and I remember Barnett highway, you know, in uh, Coquitlam or Fort Moody or whatever. And I just remember this moment so well in my life because there was, uh, I think the way over the speaker was, was talking about this guy who, um, basically kind of like lost his business, lost his wife, lost whatever. And he was walking along the beach and he was thinking about killing himself. He's like, I screwed up my life and it's over. <clears throat> and I, I might be telling the story incorrectly, but I get the essence of it, Yeah, you know, but anyway, it's, it's something like that. And anyway, I think he met someone on the beach or was talking with someone on the beach. I'm not entirely sure. Whatever. doesn't matter. But the person said to him, you know, well, what are your skills? What do you got? You know? And the guy's nothing. He's like, I got nothing. He goes, well, can you speak English? You can speak English. You got that. You can walk. You got that. You can do this thing. You can do that thing. And he went through all these little basic things that we take for granted. We take for granted. And I remember this so well, because this was, this was a time like, you know, my dad taught me a lot through this time and Tony Robbins taught me a lot through this time, but about <laughs> that you can rebuild, that there's, that there's 
so much to be grateful for and appreciative. You know, the fact that any of us can walk in some ways is a miracle, but we totally take that for granted. The fact that we can speak a language is an amazing accomplishment in life, but we take that for granted. And what, what I think, well, at least what I've done before, and I think what we do is we go, well, everybody can do that, or lots of people can do that, or whatever. So, And we try to, we basically make the things that we do need to be so rare that like no one else has done them, and they have to be so unique and so special and so like out there, that until we do that, then we're special. But the thing is, is like, you know, this whole thing about needing to be overly important is bullshit. It's about recognize your value and what you can do. And anyway, so this guy in the story ended up starting, uh, if anyone knows the story, then make a note of it. But uh, it's something um, about he, he started a, a Christmas tree business or something, started selling trees, and then he built a business and basically built back his millions or whatever, or something like that. Anyway, the point was that once he acknowledged the little skills that he had, he recognized that he could do something with that. And, um, you know, there's those moments where I get, you know, I've been really down and I've been like, man, like, what's the point, you know, like whatever. And I just feel like, you know, I feel it's not even that I'm comparing, competing with anyone else, but I'm like, if other people have succeeded at this and I'm not succeeding, like, what am I, what am I worth? Mm -hmm. You know? And, uh, the thing is, is it's like, if I can just recognize that, Hey, you know what? You can do a lot of things and maybe this bigger thing that you want requires doing some other things first. And so like the big thing that pulled me out was I basically did like a a grunt job. I did a couple grunt jobs where I made some money. Um, and I just kind of, you know, made some decent money, made it pretty quick, put some work and got paid right away. And I was like, and I felt this experience of like, i I really kind of felt like, Hey, I did something. And also when I did the work, um, the people who I did the work for were like, well, this is awesome. The job I did was really great. And they were thankful because I put my effort and I, you know, and I felt good about the job. And I thought about it later. I was like, I thought it was about the money that made me feel better, but it was the fact that I could do something that people would be grateful for that were helpful for, um, you know, and, and I could do it and I could make this thing possible. And so, it kind of gave me this sense of like self-worth of value. And I think what happens is when, when I've experienced depression is I'm not recognizing my value and my worth. I mean, and I, you know, you share what you did about writing the book and I'm like, that's an amazing thing. There's so many people who have never written a book and yet you're at a place in your life where for you, you've normalized that so much for a brief time. At least you were like, yeah, but it's not that good. Yeah, but it's short. Yeah, but whatever. Right. And that's the, that's the, that's the crazy. That's how we're crazy. Yeah, right. Completely. Right. That's how we take a good thing and make it like mediocre, you know? And I think that's what we do with, with all this stuff. We, we have this crazy logic brain that can just totally screw us up instead of like, it's um, not even necessarily logical. It's not logical. No, it's like illogical. Yet we, we walk around like it's logical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We, we support it and we validate it and we say like, Oh yes, well this is the way again, it's a story that we tell ourselves, right? It's, it's still a story about all of it because I mean, in terms of like, for example, this book, you know, it was, you know, at one point it was, you know, when, when I had the idea for it and 
it was just like, oh, wow. It's like, yeah. And I started putting some ideas together for it. And it's like, oh, well, you know, you haven't started it yet. And I'm like, okay, well then one day I started it. Right. And I got, I got like the introduction done, like the title and the introduction. And it was just like, okay, well, still got a long way to go. <laughs> right. Just like beat yourself. Yeah, up. no, this is, this is, but like, this is like exactly how like a certain part of my mind works. Yeah. Right. Not, not all of my mind, but a certain part of it, which yeah. I give, which I give far too much room to run. Right. Um, and I'm learning how to deal with that. Right. We're learning how to like <laughs> shelve that a little bit. Sure. Um, and then it's like, Oh, okay. And then wrote, you know, the first chapter, you know, got like the first chapter done. It was just like, uh, it's like, okay. Yeah. First chapter's done. It's a little bit cluttered though. Like <laughs> not the most, like maybe not necessarily the most cohesively done. And it was like, and so like every step just becomes like not good enough, right? Not good enough, not good enough, not good enough until eventually I finished the fricking book, which at one point, you know, it was saying, it's like, you're never going to write this thing. <laughs> right. And then I write it and it's like, well, there you go. And it's just like, yeah, but it's arguable how good it is. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, and, and that's just like, man, it just makes you never want to like do anything when you're thinking about it in that way. And so it's like, you know, it's, it is, it's, it's not easy, but you've got to, and again, there's no band-aid solution. That's something that you've got to work at. And I know that I've got to work at that for myself, but I know that doing the, doing that work is going to pay off so much Yeah. by just like learning to just do it. Maybe despite what I'm saying to myself or, you know, by taking those moments where I'm where I'm being hard on myself, where I'm saying that like, it's not enough or it's not, you know, it hasn't met some sort of met some pie in the sky expectation that part of me has created for it. Um, and looking at those as opportunities to change the story that I'm telling myself. It's like, okay, this is the story I'm telling myself, but instead I'm going to tell myself this one, right? Even if I feel silly, right? Like, you know, sometimes there's those, those exercises that, you know, these affirmation exercises and stuff like that, that people are given and they seem kind of silly. You know, you feel kind of ridiculous about it, but that in itself is telling, why does it feel ridiculous to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm good enough, right? Why does it feel silly to, to look at yourself in the face and, and say like, you did a great fucking job today. <laughs> yeah. Right. And we feel weird about it. It's like, why is that so weird for us to feel good about ourselves? Well, I actually have a theory on that and it's partly to do with the fact that, and this is just a, this is a big part of first world culture. You notice like a lot of people don't feel good enough. You notice a lot of people feel depressed. You know, a lot of people have these issues. Well, if you think about it, we've been actually bred and kind of taught to not look at ourselves in a positive light. It actually is more beneficial for people who are in power for us to actually look poorly on ourselves. And, um, you know, actually Matt Gibbs, who was uh, on, he went to UBC as well. And we were talking because we both studied social psych and we had a big discussion about this. And he, 
he said there's a documentary, I don't remember what it's called, but um, it goes through how materialism was actually created for us. And basically people started buying things, but then they had one and they didn't need another. So they created kind of a consumerism where you needed to have the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So we'd buy more of that because if you only buy one, then you're, you know, you're not going to keep rebuying. So now there's people who have created businesses that benefit off of our materialism and, you know, and whatever. And so materialism in and of itself and whatever is not that bad. But the problem is, is like a lot of the reason why people buy is actually because they're depressed and they want to feel better. And they believe that if they buy this thing, it will satiate that need or that feeling. So actually, if you think about it, based in a first world country, it's more beneficial for businesses and governments and stuff for us to be depressed. And now I could go on a list of reasons as to why that's so. So I actually think that we've been trained to not feel good enough, Mm -hmm. to not feel worthy, to not feel lovable. And basically, so long as we keep maintaining this belief, the economy and, and people in power benefit off of that. Now, I think what we're trying to do here is we're trying to transcend a um, training that's been put into all of us. And, uh, you know, depression is an epidemic in North America, literally an epidemic. It's yeah. so severe. Like, go look at the statistics. It's crazy how many people are clinically depressed. And then how many people are depressed who aren't talking about it? And then how many people commit suicide? In a first world country, we won the gene pool lottery. We're like in the place where you can have anything you want, the land of opportunity. You know, we have so much available, yet we we have people that are walking around depressed. It's craziness, right? So the thing is, is I think what we're doing is, is artistry goes, you know what? Fuck commercialism. Fuck industry. Fuck all this stuff. And artistry is like, it's like a teenager that says, no, I won't tell you, you won't tell me what to do. I'm doing what I want to do. Now, I'm not saying that that's always the right choice. There's a defiance to art. And that's why we're trying to talk about how does artistry meet industry. But industry has not been our friend in the recent century. It is not. Mm-hmm. It, it has been our friend when we figure out how to use it to our advantage. But as a human race, it is not good for us. Because basically, if I go sell... Um, fast food or some clothes apparel or some thing that you need for your house, I benefit because you're depressed. So I sell more and I make more money off of that. So in some ways, yeah, it's given me that first world benefit lifestyle. I'm not saying I do that. I'm just saying people, right? We do that. People have done that, you know, to me, to you, to everybody, right? Artistry is saying, okay, the industry exists, but I don't need to be depressed. And now the thing is, is that might change some businesses. If all of us realized, Hey, we're being manipulated. We're, we're, you know, if we woke up from this, I actually think what would happen is it would change the way business and economy is done. But right now where we are currently at is artistry is actually very, very low on the totem pole. And we, we talk about sciences and industry and commercialism, like those are the big things, which we don't realize that to support those at the top of the totem pole actually means that we have to give up ourself, which is why we don't feel good enough. That's my theory. Mm. And basically, I think there's a lot of evidence that supports that in social psych. So, if, you know, if audience members who, if you're interested, look into it. Um, now, we, we shouldn't feel depressed but we're taught to feel depressed. So like even the depression that I've gone through, those, those feelings and those thoughts I had, I didn't have those when I was a kid. Those are something I grew into. I was like, I learned that. 
And now I'm trying to unlearn that. And that's why I actually think Mm. depression in a way is kind of a good thing because it helps us feel how we've been mistaught. And, and I think what the ultimate lesson is anyone who's on the other side of this podcast, and I'm sure there's someone, if you're depressed, realize that that's not your fault, that that's all of our faults, that that's us as a human race, not, not standing up. And also don't ever judge someone who's depressed and understand that you might be depressed and you might not know it. You said you walked around for a year or two being depressed. I think I walked around for the last three years actually being kind of depressed in a way and just not feeling that. And I think now I've hit a point in my life where I've woken up from that. And, 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 you know, maybe I'm depressed in other areas of my life that I haven't seen yet. And I wouldn't doubt it because the world actually wants us to doubt our value, right? Mm -hmm. Once you start valuing yourself, the whole game changes, right? Like I used to like, you know, look around my place. There's hundreds of DVDs and video games and stuff, right? When I was younger, I bought DVDs to feel better. I was feeling depressed. I'd buy a DVD. I didn't realize that what I was doing, but when I'm not feeling good, that's what I'm doing. I'm buying stuff. In the last few years, it's actually really interesting because I stopped dealing with my depression by buying shit. Actually, I bought very, very little. Mm-hmm. And I started actually kind of actually dealing with my feelings a lot more. That's why I think I've actually had a lot of self-evolution. But in my earlier years, buying a DVD was just a way to mask it. You know, I suppose maybe now I don't buy as many DVDs because of Netflix. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can just watch a Netflix show. So uh, maybe I still, in certain ways, kind of still indulge in the same behavior, but not yeah. the purchasing, not the buying things so much. Yeah, no, and I, yeah, it's it's funny to bring that because, yeah, when I... I remember yeah, during that period, I would just go and I would buy stuff and, you know, sometimes it was DVDs, sometimes it was clothes, sometimes it was, I don't know, it would just be, I would just go and I would buy something, anything, yeah. you know, and, and just be like, oh yeah, I bought this cool thing, little new thing <laughs> and, and it makes you feel good for, you know, yeah. all of, all of a day, maybe, yeah. maybe a few hours only. Yeah. Um, but you can yeah. live for that. You can live for that good feeling. Like, you know, I, you know, I was feeling really depressed when I was in my twenties and I didn't know what the hell was going on. Cause now I have an awareness about it. But back then I didn't know what the hell was going on. I didn't know what to do about it. But you, I would live for those, those few hours at like Best Buy or whatever, you know, to go buy something it felt so good. And it was like, that was just enough to kind of get me through some of the hard times. So if you're into materialism, you're buying shit. Believe me, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying you're wrong or bad. If that's what you need to do, it's what you need to do but I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think it's good for your ultimate big picture, but I think we do that. Yeah. Like with anything, (laughs) like if you're using something to distract you to cover up for something that, you know, that's really going on with you, like we were talking about, like it's, you know, nothing is going to, going to fix it, you know, other than your own awareness of it. And I want to actually step back a little bit into what we were saying a little bit before, you know, just as we've gotten a little bit back into like this whole topic of depression, because I think, you know, in artistry, it's, it's sad that it's, I mean, in our society it is, but artists, you know, I think to a large degree deal with a lot of depression. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it's, you know, we said earlier, it's like, it is somewhat like, like a death, you know, and it feels that way. And in some ways it, it, it is a death, but it's almost one that, you know, you should kind of embrace because the death that is happening is, I think it's a part of you that doesn't actually, that doesn't serve you anymore. You know, it's a part of you that you don't need anymore. It's not helping you. Mm -hmm. So you kind of need to let it die. (laughs) 
Yeah. You know, you just need to learn how to let, like, depression is learning how to let something go. Yeah. It is. It really yeah. is. It's like shedding a skin. Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, you know, I, I think when people have gone through a certain form of depression or some really hard times, call it depression, call it whatever you want, call it just being really sad or whatever. But when people have gone through that and they've come back out of it, I find that there tends to be a certain amount of humility, a certain kind of, um, uh, I don't know, just a, a certain amount of, um, there's something that can come out of that. Now, when you're in it though, I don't know if the, the, you know, the butterfly so much comes out. It's almost like you're in a ca- cocoon when you're depressed, right? It's like, it's, it's kind of ugly and you're kind of not moving and you're yeah. not doing anything. Right. But when you're, when you come out of a depression, if you can come out of that and kind of flourish again, like find your and rebuild, you know, find yourself and rebuild, you kind of become a bit of a butterfly, you know, you kind of, you know, and I, you know, I've had, uh, I don't know, maybe this isn't braggy statement. I don't mean it to be that way, but I've had certain clients of myself say, you know, I can see that you went through something and it's, it's kind of amazing who you are now, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, um, and you know, I'm not too familiar with the, the whole, um, spirituality or science of it. But I've had people say to me, like just the other day, someone said, you know, your chakras are open, you know? (laughs) And it's like, well, I don't even know what that is exactly. I kind of have an idea of how that works, but that happened for me. If that is so that happened for me because I basically came, basically came to a point where I didn't, it was either like stay here and be in this and be defeated or come back out of it. Um, and, uh, for whatever reason I had enough, um, to come out of it again. And so I think that's why there's a certain that's, you know, but if you would have met me in my early twenties, you know, as a, as a different man, as a different person at that time, yeah. you know, now I'm, now I'm in a different stage, a new chapter of my life. And I, you know, where I was at the time was the best I could do. And where everybody, wherever you are, it's the best you can do. It's all good. But, um, you know, I think what happens is if we champion this stuff, we, we find ourselves, you know, and I really believe that the world, the way that we're introduced to it, um, in an education format, in a kind of a socialization format is unfortunately, um, and we're all playing a part in it and I don't think we realize it, but we're all kind of playing a part in it and hurting each other's self-worth, you know, like why, would you ever go to school like this? You know, just think about it. this. The only reason why this happens is because kids are taught to not like themselves. Why would any kid make fun of another kid? Well, it's projection. So the kid would only do it because he's make fun of himself. He has to project his own self-hatred onto another person, which means that the kid already self-hates. And then the next kid gets the self-hate from that kid. He feels the self-hate. She feels the self-hate. Maybe she takes it on, on someone else. Maybe she doesn't, Right but we're all experiencing it. We're all getting haters. We're all getting negative. And the thing is, is that we've been taught to be negative to each other. We've been taught to, to, to be negative to ourselves. Right. So like, you know, I think, I think the thing is, is one thing that definitely is a healing part of the process is, you know, we got, we got to try to stop our judgments and we got to try to stop, um, like, like not seeing this just, we kind of got to become aware okay, I'm hurting inside. If I have something negative to say, all that's telling me is I'm hurting inside. It's whatever you think it's putting out in the world, it might be damaging. I say, don't do it. But whatever you think it's about, it's actually about you. That, that's the thing that you have to realize. 
And so then, you know, and now I'm not saying that people aren't going to be shitty. Like, you know, you're going to walk out. There's like, there's people who are assholes out there in the world. But the thing is, is that, you know, what, what I think we need to do to heal ourselves is to recognize that that's their relationship with themselves, their selves and, and our relationship with ourselves. And we have to kind of separate that. And I think that's part of the path out of this depression and out of this story, you know, because once you become immune to the insult, once you become immune to the judgment, you kind of have freedom. I've experienced a freedom, you mm-hmm. know, when I don't care what people say about me, it's like, Oh, okay. You well, know, you not a, a big deal. It, well, when you have a certain perception of it, I mean, like one of the, um, one of the sort of, I don't know if the word doctrine is, is right for it, but <laughs> one of the, one of the sort of like the, the principles, um, uh, that Buddhists live by is, is like, is not to speak, is not to speak ill of another person. Like you just like, just don't do it, you know? Um, and I don't, I, I don't know Buddhism, you know, the theology, uh, of it well enough to, to say where it came from, but, you know, I, I can certainly understand from the, what you're saying in, in conversations that we've had that, it's for that very reason. It's like, well, you can speak ill of people, but it's basically like, it's just, that's all about you. Yeah. Right. Like that's completely all about you. So the more you speak ill of somebody, the more you're sort of like just reinforcing your own self-hatred. Yes. Right. So just don't do it. Yeah. (laughs) Which is all one of the reasons we don't like to crap on (laughs) people in this show. Yeah. And I mean, if it, you know, if it ever slips out, I mean, that's really just, and I don't, I mean, it, maybe it has, maybe it hasn't, but if it ever slips out, I mean, really that's one of us exposing one of our vulnerabilities. It's, it's one of us, um, actually saying something we don't allow ourselves to do or something we don't like about ourselves or something or whatever. Right. And, and it's, it's crazy, you know, it's crazy how much we tell everybody once, once you realize basic things, it's amazing that we, we actually, every time we talk or take an action, we tell everyone everything about us. And those who are aware enough to about that, they kind of go, Oh, I I can, you're telling me who you are. You might not be telling me directly, but you're showing me everything you are, you know? Um, anyway, uh, okay. So we've gone off, we've, we've done all this. I mean, I don't really know if it's about pressure. I think we've been talking about something that's like, you know, and, and to relate this back to art, I think this is a really important thing because I think actually, as we've had this discussion, depression is very, very closely linked in this time and age in history to artistry. Like, look at how many artists are depressed and, and kind of, you know, um, they've had challenges with their parents or they were bullied in school or whatever. You know, this is very, and I'm, I'm not saying there aren't artists who kind of come from, you know, kind of the perfect home, everything was good, never bullied, star athlete, whatever. Um, but I think there's a, there's a flip side to that. Sometimes when things are so good, there's another side to the whole coin. Actually, um, I think I might've mentioned this before, but there's that documentary, Tony Robbins, um, I'm not your guru. And it's a really good one because he actually, with one of the people he works with, he points out how, because she had such a good father, like someone who took care of her, that she actually had a negative experience with love because she went out into the world thinking that everyone would give her love that way, or she would get love that way. And, you know, in some ways it kind of set her up falsely for the, for the way the world works. Right. Whereas other people were like, I never got enough love, you know, 
whatever, the thing is this flip coin, but we can always make a reason why we're not good enough. We can always kind of logic that. And I think artistry, not good enough and depression and all this other stuff actually connects us more to humanity. I'm not saying that we should like try to be depressed, not from a story place, but I think we should connect to our darker, sadder, harder feelings with a kind of a love, like a kind of a love for a self-awareness. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I think through self-awareness, that's where the depth of our art really comes from. I think that's where our, you know, our true sense of what we can offer as artists comes from. And I think also from our joy. But I think when, when we live a flatlined life, when we don't allow ourselves to experience great joy or great sadness, we don't have as much to offer on the human level. Mm -hmm. We kind of become more robotic and we can do technical jobs, but we're not able to, um, well, we lose in two ways. We're not able to offer something of depth back and we actually don't get to experience life, life in a depthful way. We actually get a very like limited experience of it. So I think, um, depression's kind of like, it's kind of a, a calibration. Like if you can live through some really hard feelings and be okay, then the chances are you're going to be able to experience some really amazing things. Cause you know, the, it's like a, a, a spectrum, you know, the more it goes one way, the more it goes the other, the more it widens. Yeah. Right. So and how much you will allow yourself to yeah. do. Well, and think about art, right? Like art is sharing an experience, right? If I've experienced very little, how much art can I share? But if I've experienced a lot, and I'm talking about not like gone out there in the world necessarily, but I've experienced a lot of myself, a lot of my inner feelings and workings, there's a lot that I can, that I can look at. There's a lot of spectrums I can relate to. And I think that goes for anybody, right? Um, and I think, um, you know, you know, it's, who the hell was I talking to? I was talking to someone, oh yeah, I was talking to Scott Smith, who was also on our show. We were talking mm-hmm. about a... Um, a couple movies that have done really, really well. What the hell were they? I don't remember. But anyway, he was talking about, he pointed out a really good point to me. He said, these movies have done really commercially well, but like, look at this, this like lazy writing here, lazy writing here. But the reason why it works, he's like, it emotionally impacts you. And I was like, wow, isn't that fascinating? It's one of the most, and I wish I could remember what they were right now, but it was like, these are hugely successful films because they emotionally impact you, yet the writing can be kind of weak. But if you take something with amazing writing with no emotional impact, I mean, I don't know. I don't think we connect to it. I think ultimately, you know, um, unless maybe it's an action movie or something kind of a little more superficial. Anyway, I don't, I don't know. I yeah. haven't really thought that out, but it was an interesting point to kind of bring up. So yeah. I, I think that our, my point is, I think our depth actually helps us to do what we're trying to do, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way it can, it, it cannot do right. that. Yeah. So uh, I was curious, how do you like the beer? I really like it. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah. It's, um, it's like some sort of a, it's like some sort of like a Saison or a, or a wit or something. So it's a fruity wheat beer. Okay. Yeah. And it's called it's, it's called the rainbow dreamsicle, the rainbow dreamsicle. Yeah. Cause I can't, cause it is sort of fruity, but there's not a specific like fruit that I can really pull out of it. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like a whole bunch, but it's, it's really tasty. I actually really like this beer a lot. It's been a, it's been kind of a fun drink. So guess what their sub tagline for this beer was? 
the queer of beer. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just Pride weekend. Just yeah, it was like last weekend here yeah. in Vancouver. So I think that's why, I think that's why the beer um, kind of was around. Most likely. Yeah. So it's um, tasty. <clears throat> yeah. So it's from a brewery we haven't been to yet, Callister Brewing Company. And um, I have to say, I mean, it was an extremely, extremely hard choice to choose today. They they had so many good beers, and I've never actually been. It was my first time there. I was so impressed with their beer selection. Like, and you know, I kind of went with this one, I guess, because you know, why not? It's probably rare Pride weekend, whatever. And the beer, this also this beer tasted really good, so I thought, why not? Let's do it. Um, and I like the wheat beer. So anyway, um, yeah, it's great brew, um, brewing company and the atmosphere is kind of cool. They have some like really like kind of interesting art surrounding it, but it's kind of, it was full, a lot of people hanging out, a lot of really cool people. Everybody I met walking in was just, just up and positive and like talking, you know, and, um, that's one of the things I love about those local breweries, you know, community gets together and hangs out. Um, so yeah, they're down at the bottom of Clark, uh, just past Hastings, if you're in Vancouver. Okay. And that's that's them, Callister Brewing Company. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's thumbs up for me. Yeah. And by the way, for those of you, if you've, you know, I've said this a few times, if you haven't listened to our podcast before, we don't, we're not advertising for beer companies or anything. We don't get paid. We just, uh, these conversations started because we used to uh, just have a beer before writing a screenplay that, you know, we were working on. And uh, we'd get into these big talks. And then one day I was like, hey, why don't we why don't we share this with other people? And so the podcast was born. And so now it's, you know, coming along with all sorts of crazy talks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, why not wrap it up? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, you know, I don't know if we came up with any like definitive things, but we certainly touched on some really, some really great stuff. I mean, some great food for thought. Totally. At least for myself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, you know, when I think about this particular conversation, I think, you know, someone's listening to it, they're going, well, what does this have to do with artistry or industry? But I think it has everything to do with artistry and industry. And I'm not just tagging that on here at the end. I actually really believe that this has actually more to do with artistry and industry than most of our other talks in a way, even though the others seem more on topic. The reason why is because I think depression and artistry are very closely related to each other because depression, um, you get rid of your ego, you get rid of your pride, you start to see more of your humanity, more of who you are. And I think that that's very closely tied to artistry. And I think that with pride and ego is very closely tied to industry. And because, uh, you know, because we're taught that we need to be a big deal, we need to be successful, we need to have these things, live this life, live this lifestyle, have this person as a partner, blah, 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 whatever. And, um, I think that industry has actually nurtured us and taught us to not like ourselves. And it doesn't want us to know that. It wants us to just be a slave to it. But I think once you become aware, you don't need to buy shit anymore. You don't need, well, you don't need to buy so much. You don't need to buy things to feel better. You don't need to take pills to feel better. You don't need to find a fix from industry. You don't need to drink the Kool-Aid. You might not even need to watch the movie or watch Netflix that day. You might do work instead. And maybe this hurts the film industry. Maybe it hurts certain industries, right? But I think industry wants to benefit off as not feeling good. When we're feeling good, 
Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me. When I'm feeling good, I want to get out there in the world. I want to go hiking. I want to go do stuff. I want to go talk to people. But I don't necessarily, you know, want to, you know, I'm not really too concerned with, with, you know, some things that, um, maybe like watching Netflix or watching a movie. Right. But I think when I'm feeling more depressed, when I'm feeling more down, I tend to want to watch Netflix more. I want to watch, watch a movie. I want to kind of, you know, maybe buy some stuff, feel better, whatever. Right. So anyway, I think what we've kind of started to talk about is we're dismantling this thing that no one's talking about, you know? And I think a lot of people are feeling depressed and they're not talking about it. And I think that it's, you know, the final point I'm going to leave you with is that it's okay. It's more than okay. It's actually great. It's a wonderful thing. And I know that it's awful and it sucks. All I can say is that hang in there, just hang in that pocket, hang in there. And you know what, if we can be helpful, if I can be helpful, reach out to me, like, like message us. We have a messenger on the on the website, go to our website, message me. Well, let's talk, you know, let's figure it out. We'll do more podcasts on this if we have to. And mm-hmm. if I get overwhelmed with emails, I'll just, I'll try to help communicate my experience to everybody at once. But I, all I can tell you is that, you know, and you've been through it too, Evan. I mean, we're going through this, but we come out of it. And I think this podcast is born out of us making it through these harder times and coming up and rising up and saying, Hey, you know what? I live through it. I'm okay. Now I'm, I got some stuff to say. And other people maybe listen to it and they go, okay, great. I benefited from that. And like, that's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it together. And we're all in this together. And I think that's what depression kind of ultimately, it's weird. It makes you feel alone. Yet at the same time, what I want to say is that we're all in that together. That's the crazy thing. You feel alone, but we're doing it together. And like, you think you're the only one depressed when you're depressed. Every time I feel it's like that. And everyone I've ever talked to always thinks that they're alone. You're not alone. (laughs) We're all doing it, but we're, we've been taught not to talk about it. We've been taught that it's wrong, that it's bad, that if you're depressed, you're somehow weak or like whatever. It's not true. You're actually strong. I think to admit you're depressed, to admit that you're feeling low, that's strength because weakness is pretending everything's good when it's not. Yeah. You know, we call that strength because you say, oh, I toughed it out. I met, I, you know, I covered it. That's not strength. I think that's weakness because it's too, you know, it's, vulner- too, bl- it's too blind. Yeah. yeah. Vulnerability, like being able to be vulnerable and, and, and go in the world. Now I'm not saying you need to go out to every person because some people will not be kind about certain things. You know, not everybody, some people are still in a judgmental, hateful place of themselves, but find people who have been through it and recovered And, you know, and then you'll start to have, you know, someone to talk to about it, someone to build from, right? And if you've never been through it, try it up. (laughs) I don't know. Don't, don't make a story out of it. Just feel, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I got. What do you got? Beautiful. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we really got into a lot of stuff. They're all sort of interconnected to each other. Um, it's going to be fun trying to come up with a title for this one. Um, but how are pressure and depression linked? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think, um, to some of our earlier parts of this conversation, you know, find, find ways to, to put sort of joyful pressure on yourself to do things, you know, like, uh, I really do think it, it should be, you know, if you're, if the pressure that's on you is all is, it's not coming from a joyful place, then it's not the right kind of pressure. Um, but if it's just a pressure to like create, see what you can do, you know, that's great. Like, like ride that, like work with that. Um, and then, yeah. And in, in, in terms of like, yeah, depression, like just, 
it's, and, and all of this personal stuff that we go through, I mean, and, and as artists, like it's, it's so important that we are engaged with that. Um, we have to be engaged with that. I mean, it's artists are supposed to be, you know, communicators and reflectors of society. We're supposed to be truth tellers of sorts, you know, to hold things up that aren't often the most comfortable things for people to look at, but we do it and express it in, in a certain way that is, um, is, is beautiful and, and can, um, maybe help somebody shift their perception on something. And if we're going to create that kind of work, we need to be engaged with that process ourselves. Um, there's no, there's no other way that you can do that unless you've, you've really done it. Um, which is something that, that's a whole nother topic. And it's actually somewhat part of what my book is, is about, which is just like, you know, we've got to, you know, as artists, we really do. We have to, we have to go into these things of like what we are, you know, and that starts with ourselves. And a lot of times, many of those times, the things that we, we discover through wading through the mud of our own depression and insecurities and, and then coming through it, going through it and creating something out of it, you know, creating something, not destroying anything, but creating something. Mm. I mean, that's, that's the most incredible thing you can do with like something like depression yeah. is to create with it yeah. and, and, and find joy in it somehow. And that that's part of our job as artists is, is to do that. We have to, like, it's, it, it might not seem like that that's what, what we do, but we aren't just creatures of, of technical, of, of just executing technique. Yeah. That's not what we do. That's not the point of an artist, you know, like it's never about our techniques and anything, which is why, you know, when you said it's like, Oh, this might not seem like it relates. Right. And I, I totally understand, stand that. And I felt that way before too, but it completely relates. It relates in an even, I think an even deeper and more profound way than any technique could ever, can ever do. Right. Um, because it gets down to the core of what we are and who we are. And maybe when we discover the things about ourselves, we discover something about us at large, or we can speak to somebody who understands that too. Um, and we can all, and and we can all grow and become better for it. I mean, isn't that kind of the whole point? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, you know, that your, your summary was awesome. And, you know, one thing that I really took from that was what you pointed out about, we got to engage with it. And I, you know, I just want to, if you've listened to this entire podcast on the other end, I just want to thank you because, um, you've allowed us to, you know, and joined us in engaging into this because I never really saw how this was related to my artistry and the industry, not like this. And now it's becoming very clear in a, in a really powerful way, I think, because, um, so many times in my life I've made this depression or these feelings wrong. I've made them bad and I've made myself bad for it. And now I'm starting to see, I'm really starting to see how, it's so necessary and it's, it's a part of the journey. It's, it's a part of the process. And, um, 
Yeah. The way, the way you put it just kind of helped me see that in the perspective. So anyway, yeah, this has been a really, this has been a really good talk. I think, um, we've engaged with, uh, with a topic that you don't usually get to engage in, you know, there's Mm -hmm. no technical way to talk about this. You kind of, we, we've shared, I think a bit of life experience and, um, we've, we, you know, we don't have all the answers, but we've through a discussion, we've kind of come up with something a little closer to whatever this is. And yeah, I think it's leading, this is Mm -hmm. all leading somewhere. I think we're, we're, we're cracking open doors to things that, that, you know, we aren't really talking about that. They're not really in books, you know? And so what's cool about that is I think, I think there's something here, you know, that we're engaging with and digging into. So I yeah. know. I find that pretty exciting. Yeah, no, I think so too. It's like you feel your way into it and every now and then you stumble into something great. Yeah. Yeah. Not so serious Sunday. <laughs> That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.